We are in a life of faith, and that's what the series is entitled, but hopefully you're also in a life of faith, right? And we're in the book of Genesis. We've been covering the life of Abraham. Uh, Last time we were in Genesis 24, and we were looking at the bride of Isaac, and I want to go back, and I'm coupling Genesis 23 and Genesis 25 together, because in the next couple sessions that we have, and and by the way, it'll be a couple weeks probably before I'm back into here, or a little bit more than that, because uh, Lord willing, I'm planning, and my family's planning on taking vacation here the first two weeks of August. Uh, I've got Al filling in, Vinny, John Dick, Nick, uh, Guillermo is going to fill in as well. And so um, uh, that's the plan. And obviously, if you need to get a hold of me for a pastoral emergency or whatever, uh, feel free to call my cell phone. And also, uh, we'll be in and out of the area and whatnot. So... Uh, but that I just lay that out for you, um, and we're praying we just get a little bit of a rest and then come back at it again. So in a few weeks, we'll be back in this and probably wrapping up this aspect of our study in Genesis on the life of Abraham. And uh, anyways, back on that is uh, this is this chapter 23 and chapter 25 deal with the topic of death and the death of believers. And in particular, today we're going to talk about the death of a princess, Sarah, and we're next time in talk about the death of a patriarch, which is Abraham. And we're going to look at both of those in our series and and cover that. Um, Let's begin reading in Genesis chapter 23, verse 1. We're only going to read down to verse 6, and then we'll, we'll comment on that and continue reading in the text as we go along in the message this morning. Genesis chapter 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, and the land in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heath, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heath answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Lord, again, we are grateful to open up the word of God. As we've already been reminded, this is the word that you the God of all creation, the God of, of everything, the sovereign Lord of everything, have given to us. What a blessing to be able to freely open it today. We pray that, O oh Lord, the Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts and lives today, and that he would uh, draw us to Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We pray in his name. Amen. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says this, A good name is better than a precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. I remember reading that when I was a young Christian, just for the very first time I was reading that. And I I remember coming across that and thinking, well, that's not really, you know, how, how can it be better in a day of death for somebody than their day of birth? And I often... Uh, you know, have thought about that over the years. Certainly when you're younger, from that perspective, you know, you're not so much concerned about the end of your life, right? We're sort of invincible at age 18 or whenever, when I was first reading this. And I remember 
thinking, well, I'm very glad I'm, you know, I'm alive and all that. And, and, but really what Solomon is saying here in this verse is that when you come to somebody's the end of their life and their death, for the believer, it really is better in that it portrays for us, well, a life lived, hopefully, right? A life lived for God. And it's better in the sense that it is one of those things that more people are usually impacted by your death than your birth. And I think of that because I was born at uh, St. Joe's Hospital in Bangor back in October of 1969. And there was just a handful of people that knew about my birth. They, my, certainly my grandparents knew that, and my mom, obviously, and, and my dad. My dad was a game warden up at St. Pontville. He didn't even come out of the woods to come help, you know, I'm telling you. Uh, he couldn't. And about three days later, they took my mom and, and myself, and they put us on a little airplane, and Jack McPhee flew us up there, and we landed on a, a beaver flowage. And there I, I was introduced to my dad for uh, at least the first time in... Uh, in that form, right? And I'll tell you, uh, that was the story of my birth. Did anybody else hear about that? None of you? No? You guys that are older, like Al, did you hear about that? No, he's not that much older than me. But anyways, that was my birth. But you know, and I, I don't have another story to couple that, my death, yet, okay? I've had a few people threaten that in, over the years. But, but the reality is this, that, you know... Just a handful of people know about us when we're born. But after we live and we impact this world, hopefully for good, right? And for the believer, it ought to be a life of faith. That when you come to that time to die, there are many that have been impacted. There are, there are people today, we are sitting here today at Madawaska Gospel Church or, or wherever you are uh, and you're listening to this message. And, you know, you have been impacted by a woman named Sarah who lived 4,000 years ago. Think about that. Her life was spent on this earth, the Bible says, 127 years. That's a life, I would say for sure, a long life, right? If we compare to other lives, right? 127 years. But in her and through her and Abraham... Uh, the whole world has been blessed, just as God said they would be. Because out of her womb came a son, and out of that son came a lineage, and out of that lineage came our Messiah, Jesus. And he's blessed all the earth. God blessed Sarah. When we come to this chapter, and it's a sad occasion in some ways, it opens up with a sad occasion. And we were, I, I titled this, and it's really from Warren Wiersbe's outlines, but the death of a princess. And that you remember back when we were looking at uh, Genesis 17, when Sarai, Abram's wife, her, her name was changed to Sarah. And the word Sarah means princess. And so she was a princess with God. And God gave her a new name back there in Genesis 17, verse 15. We know that Sarah was not a perfect woman. Matter of fact, she, she got in trouble a few times and doing different things and scheming and those kind of things and not always trusting the Lord the way she should. But, but show me any perfect person out there that hasn't gone through their life with something that, that marks them, you know, saying, I didn't trust the Lord right there, or either sins of commission or sins of omission. Those things happen. And the Bible does not portray people in any better light than they really are. 
Just so you know that. That's why it's a book from God and not from man. You see, if man wrote the Bible, he would always portray his, especially his family and everybody else, in a better light, wouldn't he? I mean, that's, that's the generally what we do in our pride. We leave out the bad details and we only talk about the good. Now, God just presents people as they really are. We're sinners. And we need redemption. We need salvation. And even saved sinners still can sin. And I'm not going to dwell on that because there isn't a lot of that in Sarah's life. But there were a few times when we went through this where she doubted God. And, and times when she uh, schemed, as I said, and other things. But in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, this is God's commentary on Sarah. It says this, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. You know, the Bible says that one of the reasons she conceived at age 90, all right, never having a child before that time, at age 90, was because she believed God was true. God had promised specifically to her that she was going to conceive, and she trusted God. And that's what we've been talking about this life of faith, whether it be with Abraham or with. Uh, Sarah or with Isaac or with others in the Bible or people that we know even or people that we have known that have walked with God they are witnesses of the Lord and they show us how we ought to walk as we follow him well we see a number of things about the death of uh, Sarah and the death of uh, this dear woman of faith And we see really the picture here is of Abraham grieving for his wife and finding a burial place for his wife. If you want an outline, uh, the first point was this, that we see Abraham's tears. You know, tears are things, uh, it is a, uh, someone put it this way, tears are a method in which we heal in grief. Sometimes people cry more often than others, right? And sometimes they don't cry at a certain moment when you think they should cry, and then later they do cry. And, but, you know, tears come from God. And the Bible actually validates your tears. You realize that the Lord knows every tear that's ever been shed throughout all humanity. He knows every single one of them, and he knows especially those who are his, and he takes note of the times where we weep. In the Bible, one of the shortest verses, it is really, in English anyways, the shortest verse in the Bible is found in the Gospels, and it says, Jesus wept. You know, even Jesus cried. Jesus wept. Why? He was fully human, and yet he was fully God. Do you realize that God wept at a graveside? A man named Lazarus had died, a good friend, and Jesus wept at his grave. Well... Abraham wept for his wife. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, which means fellowship. Interesting word, Hebron, because she died in fellowship. (laughs) In the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the land that God promised Abraham and told him it's yours find that interesting because the possession of it hadn't come yet, but God gave him the promise. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And I can only imagine how hard a day that was when there he was with his 
wife's body before him and preparing that body and having it prepared to be buried and you don't have a lot of time the body begins to decay and everything else but yet he took time to weep for his wife very important aspect of that you know i'm thankful because even though believers weep and there's nothing wrong with that at all uh, we don't need to weep like others who have no hope the Bible says that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. It says, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And when you see the word sleep in relation to believers and their death, it always refers to their bodies. The soul does not sleep. The spirit itself does not sleep. But the body goes into a state of what appears to be sleep almost, right? And eventually, even as it decays and turns back to dust, God's promised to make a new body someday and resurrect a body. But look what it says here. Those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I have been, and and this is sort of both a privilege and sometimes a, a great burden as a pastor to sit at the bedside of some dear saint or someone else somebody that isn't a believer and sit at their bedside or sit next to them or sometimes sit with them or stand over them or wherever it may be i've seen a lot of people die over the years in various circumstances i've seen them die tragically i've seen them die sometimes uh, in a long drawn out affair and what a difference it is for a believer Not because they suffer any less, no, that isn't really what it's about. But there's a hope, even through the pangs of death, and there's a hope for the family. And we do not grieve as others who have no hope. And when you have no hope, it's an awful thing. People wail, and they cry, and they've lost somebody they'll never see again. Think of that. For the believer, it's not like that. For the believer, we say a goodbye. We say a departure, but we're going to see you later. And that's a a blessed, blessed hope that the Bible offers through Jesus Christ. Paul says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. See the word believe? There it is. Faith. That's what belief is all about. Trusting God. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And he goes on to talk about a great rapture, a great resurrection that will take place. And it's a great hope for the believer. And we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Do you know in Genesis chapter 23 verse 2 is the first instance in scripture where we see tears. You can look all the way back to the garden and you don't find anywhere in that that God writes about people's tears. I suspect there were tears shed way before Abraham and Sarah's time, but the Bible doesn't talk about those tears. Um, And I would just say because it, it wasn't important up to that time, because here we find grief as it's portrayed with Abraham and you know the the that was the the first time the Bible mentions tears, it is about death. You know, the next time, or the last time, I should say, that that tears are mentioned in the Bible, it's actually to put tears away forever. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, and I love this, because you see, here's Abraham. And Abraham, you know, back there in his time, he's weeping over the death of his wife. He's, for a moment, 
She's out of his sight. She's no longer uh, in that body that was so full of life for 127 years. And now he, he weeps over her. And I wonder if there was anybody there to wipe his tears. Maybe he just wiped his tears. Maybe there was some servant that said, Here, Abraham, use my sleeve or my handkerchief or something like that. Nevertheless, he wept. Someday God's going to wipe away the final tears. Oh, I can't wait for that. Because I've shed a lot of tears over the years as I have watched, sometimes been visited tragically with death and other times and watched others grieve and yet knowing that someday God's going to put it away. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is in heaven. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And I say, Amen. Someday, no more tears. Oh, we look forward to that. We know also in Hebrews eleven thirteen, in that same chapter of faith, we read, and Sarah's included in this, right? These all died in faith, not having received the promises. And I think about that. Abraham, we'll come to this later in the message, Abraham had to buy a portion of land in the land that God had given him. Why? Because he hadn't received the full promise of that land yet. There were still others in that land. And Abraham, the peacemaker, buys a piece of land. Think about that. But beyond that, he didn't live for this world. Neither did Sarah. According to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, they actually had their eyes on him who was invisible, right? Who's a city, whose builder and maker is God. That's heaven says this, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In that text we read this morning, Abraham went to the men there of, the, of Heath, uh, the, the Canaanites, and he said, I'm a foreigner. Think about that. He, he was a foreigner in the land that God gave him? How did that work? Because he was really a foreigner. No matter what, we're just foreigners here. That's all we are. We're strangers and pilgrims. That's what the New Testament says of us. That means we're sojourning through this world. And eventually, whatever you possess here and all of that, it's not going with you. The last little bit of land that you'll ever own is in a cemetery. And even that someday is going to be reclaimed somehow. We know from Acts chapter 7 that it appears when Stephen talks about the burial of the patriarchs, he talks about a different place. And you realize that later on, the grave even of the patriarchs, some of them had to be moved in that land and all that stuff. And there's not a contradiction in Acts 7 on that. It is rather just shows that even in this world, even your grave isn't permanent. (laughs) And you know, for the believer, it's not permanent at all because someday he's going to raise up the body. Those graves will open and there won't be any remains left there for for the believer. For the unbeliever, they are also resurrected, but resurrected to judgment. The body will be judged forever in hell. Psalm 73 verse 24 says this. I love this. It says, you will guide me with your counsel. Aren't you glad that God guides you now with his counsel? And afterward, receive me to glory. It only gets better. 
It only gets better. Now he counsels us. Later he's going to receive us to glory. Isn't that great? Paul put it this way. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's wonderful. We live now and we live for Christ or you ought to be because it's the only thing that will give your life true meaning and joy is to live for him. If you aren't living for Christ, your life at best is shallow. And it might have joys and happiness and sorrows and those kind of things like everybody has. But you don't have the full aspect of that as a believer if you're not living for Christ. If you're an unbeliever, you're not his. You won't go to be with him. And you know, this verse is not for you if you're an unbeliever because it gets worse after life. Eternal judgment and damnation in hell. Separated from the one true God of light and everything good, it'll be separated forever. That's what the Bible says. Jack didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. All right? Jesus warned of that. And he wants us to live for him. He wants us to come to him in faith and trust him for our sins. And say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And and give me guidance and counsel in my life. And he's promised to do both those things. And at the end, he receives us to glory. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Isn't that something? I live so much of my life trying to keep away from death. You do too, don't you? We, we do. We get in the car, we buckle up. I hope you do anyways. I don't want to be picking you up off the road somewhere. You know, we, we try to prevent injury and death. We try to keep those things at bay. We try to eat our, you know, our healthy foods and those kind of things and at least eliminate more hot dogs and steak, you know, Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. But anyways, uh, but, but honestly, it's far better to die and be with Christ. Paul says far better. He means far better. Although we may not see or feel that now, Someday, from the other side of it, if you're one of his, you will. And you will say that, oh, it is far better to be in glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul refers to this body as a tent. And, and when Abraham, Abraham was standing there before his wife and her, her body, and that body was being carefully prepared for burial, all of that, it was just a reminder that it's just a temporary space. I think it was Vance Avner, uh, Warren Wiersbe talks about this when Warren Wiersbe was uh, at uh, Moody Bible Institute and Vance Avner came to speak there at a conference and he had recently lost his, or, or his wife had recently died um, sort of unexpectedly, um, Vance Avner's wife and Warren Wiersbe went to him and, and said, uh, Mr. Havner, I'm so sorry you lost your wife. And he said, oh, no, no. That which is known or the location of that which is known is not lost. And he just reminded him that if you're a believer and you lose, you know, a, a believer is, is not lost when they die. Matter of fact, they're more alive than ever before. And they're more found than they ever knew. <laughs> they're in heaven in the presence of God. And you're not lost. Although we might say that, and we certainly understand what it means when we say sorry for your loss, 
It is a loss, but it's as truly heaven's gain when a believer goes on. Well, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, and I would add, not because I'm adding to Scripture, but when this earthly house, this tent, and he's referring to the body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Someday we'll be in the presence of God, eternal in the heavens, and it'll never be a body that has pain or or suffering or tears or heartache or anything like that that we're so accustomed to down here. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. And Paul just reminds us, if indeed, if truly you have believed, then you are clothed with his righteousness. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as, our, as a guarantee. And so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Aren't you glad of that promise? Paul, as he's writing that, he's feeling the effects of life, both emotionally and physically, and the pains that probably plagued his body. And yet, he knew that someday he would be clothed with life, not death. When Sarah died, and I often think of this with a life of a mother, a woman, someone who spent so many years caring for others, and I've thought about what would what would Sarah's what in 127 years? You wonder how many dishes did she wash? There were such things. They didn't have paper plates probably back then, things like that. But I'm sure there were things that she had to wash and there were times when clothes that needed to be laundered and all those things and there were the menial tasks that often were relegated to the life of a a woman a wife a mother that menial no less important actually I think more important so many faithful women like Sarah who just go about the everyday activities of their life one meal at a time, one dirty sock at a time, one diaper at a time, whatever. You see all that that goes on and on and on. 127 years, there would have been a lot of that. But you know, when you die, you finally leave it all behind and you can rest. You can rest. Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says this, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Doesn't mean your work follows you, but your works, what you've done here and been faithful, either in the little or the great, listen, 
whatever you've been faithful in, that follows as a reward in heaven. But you rest from your labors. No more work to be done. Some of the ladies are saying amen, I know. Some of the men, I hope too. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of, for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul suffered greatly for the, the power of God in the gospel. Gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins, that he, he was buried, that's death, and that he rose again victorious over death and sin. But you know, in this world, you'll suffer for that if you believe that. In various forms. I have not suffered greatly in my life to have held to that belief. Other Christians in this world that are occupy this world, some don't anymore, have suffered greatly because of that. But look what he goes on to say. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling... Not according to his, our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Do you know, he has, and as Paul's writing here to Timothy, a young pastor, and Paul himself, an apostle, as he's telling Timothy and commending him to the Lord and to his, his service and care, and he's encouraging him to press on. But it's really for all of us. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary or someone like that to serve the Lord where he's put you. My wife and I have been reading a little book called um, A Very Present Help by William Dobby. He was a, uh, he was actually, uh, he served 41 years in the British military uh, in the first part of this century, or the last century, excuse me. And in World War II, 1939, um, actually it was 1941 when he was given the task of being governor of Malta. And Malta, was, which is in the Mediterranean, just off of Italy there, um, was surrounded at the time by the you know, occupied Italy, which was, you know, the Italians were on the side of uh, Germany and uh, the Nazis and others. And they, they talk about the miracle of Malta. But I, I have come to love this little book because the governor of Malta at that time, the one who was the commander of all the forces that were there and everything else, he was a Christian gentleman, and he reiterates over and over again in this book, not only his own testimony of faith, how he came to Christ, but how God sustained him and how God put him in the very place he needed to be throughout his whole career, in sometimes times where it was very mundane, some things that were, he didn't want, but it's where he served Christ. And he says this, God puts his servants in places where he wants them. And yes, every soldier wants to be the one charging in deep to the enemy territory and, and going into the heat of battle because that's what you're trained to do. But you may not be want to be the guy that's back there issuing boots to those soldiers. But you may be the Christian that's doing that and you need to because those people need Christ where you're at. And my friends, I say it this way, bloom where you're planted, right? You have a holy calling. I have a holy calling. Live in that holy calling wherever it is and be faithful to Jesus Christ. But according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Amen. It's not that death does not work in our world anymore. It's still there. But you realize that death for the believer is now just an entrance into the true life in Christ. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. Oh, the blessed gospel. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. Wow. Well, we have this chapter talking about Abraham's tears. But we also have Abraham's testimony. Abraham had a testimony even in death. And often that is where our true self is is seen. When we experience such tragic loss or death visits us. You see what really what believers are all about. I, I think of that in the some of the very sometimes hard funerals we've all had. And some of you are here that have had those things. The death of a child. The death of a loved one. Someone who's well known. Maybe somebody who's not very well known. All of that. And sometimes we grieve in those really hard times. And yet you have a testimony of Christ's work in you. And a hope of heaven. And I'll tell you, it demonstrates that to the world. There were people in the land that Abraham lived in. And they, well, first of all, believed they were the rightful owners of that land. And instead of making war with him, he just said, I'm going to go buy a piece of land from him. Even though God had let him know that he was going to have that land and his descendants. Genesis chapter 23 verse 3 says this, Then Abraham stood up from before his dead. He spoke to the sons of Heath, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heath answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are mighty, a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Now, what they say here is, those tombs that we've selected and, and taken care of already, because he's talking to these you know, leaders of the Canaanites, we'll give, you up, give up one of our tombs. And he says later on, no, that's not what I want. He wanted a place special for him and for Sarah and for those that would come after him. And again, we find that he wanted to uh, be a testimony to those that were in the land. And by the way, he had already been one. They called him a prince. He was somebody that they recognized as important, a man of faith. And though the Canaanites did not believe in the God that Abraham held to and who held Abraham, they understood that he was a great man, a man of faith. And I, again, Everybody around you may not believe the same thing you believe. But as a believer, you have an impact on their life. You do. And even in death, you do. I think that's good. Paul writes this in that section just before we read in 1 Thessalonians about, Brethren, I would not have you be ignorant concerning those who are asleep. The previous verse commends us in life. Look what it says. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. We are to walk properly in this world in front of others. That's a testimony. And then he promises that he's going to receive us after death. Abraham had that kind of testimony. Oh, I'm thankful for that. 
And, you know, he was not a citizen of that land. He had to admit that. He told them, I'm not a citizen. And he was as truthful as absolutely he could ever be because, as I said earlier, we're not citizens of this world. Heaven is our final home. We're just pilgrims and strangers, as the Bible declares. By the way, the, when he refers to Paul talks about um, his departure being at hand, uh, in Second Timothy, he refers to that in Second Timothy chapter four, verse six. He says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand." Paul recognized his impending death, and it was nearing. And he uses a word to depart, and it means to take down a tent. <laughs> I like that. When you take down the tent, you expect to to erect it somewhere else, right? And that's what Paul was referring to in this life. Abraham did the same th- thing. We see Abraham's tact, his tact in this, that he was a peacemaker. He could have, Abraham was a very powerful man. We know that because earlier, remember, he had gone and had to wage war. And when he went to wage war and to fight evil, uh, he, he was victorious. We read of that earlier in his life. And so he, he, here he is, he even has more at his disposal. He could have gone in and taken a piece of land. And by the way, he really wouldn't be taking what was already given to him. But instead, he tactfully goes and, first of all, declines the offer of a tomb that was reserved for someone else. And look what it says in verse 7. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land. That's humility. The sons of Heath. And he spoke with him, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me. And meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. He wanted a particular place. He had his eye on a cave that no one else had used, and he had a piece of land in mind, and he says, I want it for the full price. That's tact. Now Ephraim dwelt among the sons of Heath, and Ephraim, or Ephron the Hittite, answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heath, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of all the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, O my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham Abraham, uh, weighed out the silver of Ephraim, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. Now, I will say this, that according to the various commentaries I read and all that, it was a very expensive parcel parcel of land. Probably more than, or the requested amount, was more than it was actually worth in real estate. Abraham doesn't lowball and come back with a, a low offer or anything like that. He says, I'll pay the price. He paid for land really, that was twice his at that point. That's tact. Sometimes it's better for us to just do it 
tactfully with the Lord's testimony in view so that we might honor not only, in this case, his dead, but also honor God. And lastly, we see Abram, Abraham's tomb, and that's verses 17 to 20. Abraham's tomb. <clears throat> so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heath before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mechpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave that is in, that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heath as property for a burial place. Now, my friends, couple things in this. There's a legal transaction that took place. It was deeded to Abraham. That's important because even today, in the geopolitical climate of that part of the world, there are all kinds of people, including people in our country, that say the descendants of Abraham have no right to that land. They have no right. They never existed there. They never. Well, according to the Bible, there was a plot that was even deeded and a field that was deeded. And you know, we know from the testimony of God and his word that even more land was granted to Abraham and his followers. And so I believe in the very fact that Israel today exists as a nation that God has been faithful in that in spite of most of the world contrary to Israel today and wanting them erased from the map. God will have his way. But you know, we find out, and I won't take time to go through all the scriptures But you find here, um, later on in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 33, you have Jacob, who had to buy back the piece of land again. <laughs> wow. Pay for it again. And it was difficult for the residents of the land to keep track of all these different things. And no doubt, that's the way things go. But they were, they were above board in the business dealings when they did it according to what the Bible says. And we find out about that. And we find out that, as, it, as we read here, that uh, Abraham's tomb, um, really what, this, this burial place and all of that, would later hold the body of, no, it would be Sarah, and then Abraham, and then his descendants also. Uh, several of them would find their way in there. And I'm just thankful that God has a way of taking care of that. Later, Rebecca and Leah and Jacob would join them in that same tomb. Their bodies would be there. And it's interesting because the book of Genesis itself ends with, with death. It ends with a tomb. Um, and really, Genesis ends with a full tomb. I'm thankful, though, when you come into the Gospels of the New Testament... The Gospels end with an empty tomb. And they remind us that there's hope beyond the grave. Abraham, Sarah, looked beyond the grave to a hope in God. And I'm thankful for that as well. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we just come before you again. And Lord, I think of 
of the amount of times people have been by a graveside and have wept. I think of John Patton who, after losing his wife and his newborn child, as he lay there at that gravesite, he said, I must have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave, except to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he looked for that blessed hope. And Lord, I'm thankful that though we can lose sometimes it seemingly such light and such joy in those times of grief, yet, oh, what awaits beyond the grave is life forevermore. And Lord, I thank you for the blessed hope that we have in Christ as believers. And I pray, oh Lord, if there's anybody here or that hears this message that is yet a stranger to you, that today would be the day, this very moment would be the day they would trust you and that, Lord, you indeed would forgive and put them on that track to heaven. What a joy that that would be. Thank you for the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, the hope of redemption, and thank you for buying uh, us back from sin. And the cost of that was far greater than a patch of land. It was the cost of the blood of the Son of God himself. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.